Taylor. Hope everybody is having a good day and doing something that they enjoy to do. And I know that I certainly am because I'm recording a podcast with Taylor and our guest, who this is another first. We've got Nicole Griffin on here. She is our first return guest. She was our first ever guest. And so we've got her back on here today. The first time we focused on talking about presence. And today we're going to get a little bit more into nervous system regulation, among a host of other things, I'm sure. I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. And just so happy to have Nicole back on here. She's a friend of both of ours, a teacher, a coach, an avid traveler, and just a beautiful human being. So with that being said, we're just going to jump right into the episode. Nicole, how's it going today? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're, we're pumped to have you back. Uh, another big milestone with our first ever uh, return guest to the podcast. I think you are our first guest. I just thought of that. And now you're our first return guest. So uh, we're excited to have you on. You know, Tina and I went through your Feel Grounded in Your Growth Zone program and both found a lot of value in it. So Tina actually had mentioned to me probably about a month ago of having you on as a return guest and talk about nervous system regulation. And I was like, oh, that's perfect because the first time you talked about presence, and I know this is another big topic that you're passionate about, and I feel like I've gotten more exposed to or we've gotten more exposed to. Um, and yeah, so we were just excited to have you on and uh, talk more about that today. Yeah, I'm think- excited to talk more about that. That's a topic that I've been super interested in over the last couple of years and have done a real deep dive in to learn more about and I've been experimenting how to bring it into everything that I do because I think it's just so empowering to have a sense of what's actually happening in our bodies and to have some tools that we can use to approach things with more skillfulness and more resilience and just more awareness. And the nervous system really ties all of that together. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know we'll get more into the in-depth on some of that stuff. Maybe like taking a step back, can you start with just like, what is the nervous system? And I know you can probably go super in depth to some of the the science-based stuff on it, but I think it'd be helpful. You know, even I think about myself two years ago, I'm like, I would have known nothing. I know a little bit now, uh, but yeah, maybe just kind of level set for folks out there. Yeah. So there's different branches of the nervous system. And so for our purposes today, The branch that we are talking about is the autonomic nervous system, which you can also think about as being our automatic nervous system. So we've got like the brain and spinal cord over here. And then the autonomic nervous system has to do with like all of our um, automatic functionings, including things like breathing, heart rate, digestion, hormones, metabolic functioning, um, sleep, wake, our sleep, wake cycle, things like that. And it's broken down into two branches. So it's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is also known as the rest and digest or the relaxation response. And then the sympathetic nervous system, which is also known as our fight and flight or our stress response. And the parasympathetic nervous system is also broken down into two further branches, which have more technical names. It doesn't matter. You don't have to remember what they are. Um, but it's the ventral vagal and the dorsal vagal, and that those are connected by the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the longest nerve in our body. It's this amazing 
this amazing highway of information. It's essentially like an organ. It runs from our brainstem through our face, innervates all of our facial, all, all of our sensory organs, like our eyes, our, our nose, our ears, our mouth. And it goes down into our heart and lungs. And then it goes down into our gut and it innervates all of our organs in our body. And its job is 80% to take information from the body up to the brain. And then 20% to regulate back down based on the information that we're receiving. The brain is receiving about the state of the organs, the state of the body. It's also detecting constantly whether or not there's a threat present. And this is something we can talk more about later because it's really important, but it's constantly detecting, are we safe or are we in, in a threatening situation and giving that information back to our brain. And that's what determines whether or not the stress response turns on or the relaxation response turns on. But the two branches of the vagus nerve just at a very high level, the dorsal vagal is our oldest evolutionary system. That's our freeze or shutdown. Like when we have, we're not resourced enough to fight or flight or fight or flee, then we shut down. So you can think about it like an animal playing dead. Um, that's our only recourse in the moment is to completely shut down. Um, and then the sympathetic is like the fight or flight that's in between the two parasympathetic branches. That's when we are trying to fight back or trying to get away. And then at the very top, our most recently evolved system, which is like 200 million years old, right? So it's still like quite, um, you know, it's been around for a while, but all mammals have this. And this is really interesting, and we'll probably spend more time on this, I'm guessing, but it's called the ventral vagal, and this is our state of regulation. And we come into this state, and this is what a lot of this work is about with the nervous system, is trying to build more regulation and to try to spend more time here in ventral vagal. And it's all about seeking safety through social connection. So instead of trying to shut down or try to fight or run, we're instead looking for connection with other human beings for safety. And we're also constantly like scanning for safety by looking at other people and looking at their facial expressions and their tone of voice and like our system in the background. This is happening outside of our conscious awareness, uh, determining whether or not we're safe. So I'll pause there. We can get more into the details of things, but that's kind of the high level of what we're talking about. Thanks for that, that overview. Some of it maybe over my head slightly. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to diving into it more with you. And I know that other people will too. Um, I mean, first for me, just really glad to have you back on the show, Nicole, you are our first guest. And I was thinking about it when I was driving over here to record today, that um, maybe this is you being on here again is maybe your reward for being the name we mentioned the most in the first year. So maybe that'll start a trend too. We'll have to see if we can get our AI friend, Jack Forrester, maybe to see if AI can calculate whose name across an entire year that we mentioned the most. But there's no doubt that it was yours in 2023, I think. So we just, I, I know both of us got a lot out of having you on here the first time and just a lot of feedback and comments that we did throughout the year. And then, of course, us joining your coaching program brought it up more times. But um, so anyway, for that reason, it's real cool to have you on here again to, to talk to you about some some different stuff. And I'm sure some some similar stuff to presence. And I think this ties in in a lot of ways to presence. Obviously, the better we're able to regulate 
our emotions and nervous system and all of those things, I feel like the, you know, the stronger our presence probably becomes or the more capable and able we are to um, follow our intuition and be present and all of those things that we have talked about previously. So I love that they're all connected, but um, this is a little different, I guess. And just thinking about the regulation, maybe like, why is this so important? It's our mind body connection. First of all, our nervous system connects our brain to the rest of our body. And it's a way for us to pay attention to what's happening inside of our body and to have a greater sense of what our patterns are and what triggers us, stresses us out, takes us outside of regulation and also what resources us and brings us back. And so when we start to pay attention to um, just knowing what state we're in, that's why I mentioned the states. And again, we don't have to like, you don't have to remember what they are necessarily, but just knowing that there's different states and being able to pay attention to where you are at any given time will give you so much information. And then having a sense of like what your resources are. So like, for example, this breathwork technique is really helpful for me or exercise is really helpful for me. Or there's like this tea that I drink that's like soothes my nervous system or going outside in nature, right? There's so many different resources and every person's going to have different ones. And there's different resources for different states, but just knowing what those are for you and being able to tune in and be like, this is what's happening in my body. This is what I can do about it. It's so empowering. It gives us so much agency and it gives us a sense of self-mastery. It gives us a sense of knowing ourselves at a much deeper level and being able to flow in and out of different states and experience the wide range of emotions that we experience as human beings without getting overwhelmed or consumed by them, but having tools and resources to be able to experience them and um, yeah, just kind of stay present, like you said, with what's happening and, and be able to respond more skillfully and with more resilience than we would if we were just at the whim or we were getting hijacked by these emotions and these stressors that happen that are part of life, right? Like, so this is just a way for us to be become more skillful. Do you do you like? I'm curious because I think when you're in the heart of it, you feel a certain way. It's almost hard to remember. Well, everything that you just mentioned, like I've heard before, and I think that when you're in a calm state, you can think about these things. And you're like, oh, I just need to get outside, or I just need to go to the gym. But when you're experiencing that, I think sometimes you can be blinded a little, or at least I can be blinded. Like, do you write these things down? Are you just so tuned in, or I don't know if I, like, how do you know which one of those kind of methods or uh, techniques or whatever you want to call it or activities to like engage in when it comes? And do you have like, is it worth just me like jotting something down on my phone and be like, could I be dehydrated? Do I need to like be out in sunlight? Do You know, because like, some of this stuff's like really easy. But in the moment, I'm like, I feel terrible. And then I'm like, I haven't drank water in like five hours. Just drink water. <laughs> like, it sounds like such a simple thing, you know, but I'm like, oh, I was dehydrated. The world's not falling, you know? And so I don't know. Do you have a simple way to say like, here's like a basic checklist or what do you do personally to make sure, you know, like these are my go-tos when I feel a certain way? Well, you're making a really good point, first of all, with like just making sure that your basic needs are met, because that's actually a huge piece of the puzzles. Like. Have I slept enough? Have I eaten anything today? Have I 
add water? Do I need to go to the bathroom? Like, you know, basic stuff, making sure you're taking care of that and not overriding your body's signals when your body's saying, Hey, I've been thirsty for like five hours and like you haven't had any, any water yet. Um, paying attention to that stuff and like getting more in tune with like the signals your body is sending you and getting out of the habit of overriding them, but responding. That's, that's a big part of this work actually. Um, and then the other piece you're asking about is how do I know what to do? You know, when I'm in the moment and I'm stressed out is that takes practice and you have to, it, you have to get in the habit of pausing and paying attention what's happening in my body. Like you have to practice mindfulness. It's a big part of this. Um, instead of just immediately reacting rather than responding with skill or immediately like reaching for a lot of times we have really unhealthy coping or numbing strategies where we're just trying to solve immediately and like take this discomfort away. I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to feel this way. I'm going to drink a beer or I'm going to do, I'm going to have, I'm going to vape or I'm going to whatever, you know, we all have different things that we do, but we have to learn. And this takes a lot of practice and it takes time. We have to learn to pause and be like, what is happening? What do I need? What would be most helpful? And it takes, there's trial and error. So there's different tools and resources for all of us. The ones that work for me are not necessarily going to be the same ones that work for you. But I mean, I can give you some examples of what I'm talking about with resources. Like I named a few of them earlier, different breathing practices, exercise, mindful movement, like yoga or Tai Chi. It's also things like um, singing, humming, because the vagus nerve again goes through our throat and our voice box. Um, uh, cooking for some people, cr creativity or art for some people, um, human to human connection, right? Because we're looking for that safety. If we want to be in regulation, we want to be reaching out and looking for connection. Um, nature, sometimes there's a smell. I mean, there's all, there's so many different things and it really does. Like there's no magic bullet. There's no, I can't just be like, well, Taylor, do this. Like you're feeling like this. So here's, here it is on a silver platter. It's not that easy. This work takes intentionality and it takes time. I love that. I, I've been thinking a lot. It, we mentioned this often in my grad school program that I'm in for counseling. And like, if you were thinking about it in the clinical therapeutic sense, like, is it a science or is it an, is it an art? And the best answer that I've heard yet, I mean, I think it's probably part of both, but like when you're actually in the session with someone counseling them, it's mostly art because it's all about connection and relatability with the client and the counselor, but the science would support that. So it's not just this new idea that we sit down and talk to someone and it's all art. Like there is scientific research that supports why we engage that way. Right. And I sort of feel that same way about this. Like you started this with some of the science part of it, but at the end of the day, it's different for every person. It's fluid. It's flexible. It's like what speaks to me is different than what speaks to you, than what speaks to Taylor. And so there is like this malleable aspect of it that feels more like the art, I guess. And I just thought that's real cool because it's the way that you just expressed it. Like we just can simplify it. Like when we're feeling a certain way, I guess first is awareness that we feel this way, that we need to redirect our course of action and our state of mind and all of those things. So we have awareness. We have to be mindful, 
which, you know, we've talked about both of those things on here a lot. That's pretty simple to do if we just slow down and pay attention, right? And we start there and then we simplify it. Like, okay, what works? What works for me? I don't know. Okay, well, let's try something on this list of 10 things that you just, you know, listed out for us or how many ever. Like, that's such a great resource. And, and they're all simple things. You know, like we could we could sing, we could do karaoke, we could cook with our partner, we could walk around the block, like all those things that we all can just do. I don't know. And that's that's what's in my mind is just like, man, it can be really simply simple if we just engage and are open to doing something new. Yes, that is an excellent, very important point, because it is simple. At the end of the day, it takes a lot of uh, awareness and mindfulness and patience but the actual solutions are simple oftentimes. And we, we think we overthink things, you know, as human beings, we make things more complicated or we think it has to be like complicated in order for it to be valuable. But in, with this work, it's actually small, impactful shifts done consistently over time is going to make the biggest impact. So it is a bit of a mindset shift actually, but at the end of the day, the small, simple things are the most impactful. And not always easy. I can hear Taylor saying that like, yes, it's simple. It's not always easy. But once we yes. sort of start building that momentum, then then it's fairly simple, can be fairly simple. Yes. Yeah, you do get in the rhythm with it. You guys both touched on the one for me that I think we've mentioned, you know, exhaustively on here it was like the awareness, right? Like, I just feel like it's really easy to sit here and listen to a podcast. You're like, wow, that was really interesting. I heard all these tactics for like nervous system regulation. I'm going to try to do that. And 20 minutes later, you get an email from work and you're like, I can't believe they didn't do this. We told you are so clear. You know, you don't know it before you know it, you're just an autopilot and you're right back down that hole again. And so I think that like to your point, Dean, and you mentioned it too, Nicole, it's like, how do you, how do you increase that awareness in the moment instead of just going on autopilot? And it sounds exactly what you just said, right? Like it's simple, not easy. I just think like that can't be overstated, right? Because it's easy again when you're not in it to say like, you know what, I'm going to try to do that next time that happens. But when you're in it, some of the stuff is just so hard to do. Um, and I don't know, for me, I, I don't know if like, I don't want to take it down another path, but I think that some of this stuff, it's like not to bucket it in one category or the other, but I think that it seems like some of the stuff, if you can build into your daily discipline of like, wow, if I'm always outside in the morning getting sunlight and I do that consistently, it just becomes part of my routine. And I don't have to be intentional about doing it when I feel a certain way, which is why I think that like routines and stuff are so important. But I also know that for myself, I've learned some other like more acute kind of tactics around like breath work, right? If I'm like, oh, I'm feeling anxious, I could do like a breath work routine. And in 15 minutes, I feel better. That to me is harder to do and build into my routine on a daily basis, because honestly, if I build in too many things, it feels like I'm making myself go through two hours of a routine and it's like, I'm ready to crush the day. And it's like, well, your day's halfway over because you're trying to optimize it. And then ironically, it makes me feel like I'm behind because I had too many things to do. So I almost have to choose things that I need to do on a daily basis. Some of this other stuff, it's like, wow, when I'm feeling really stressed, I need to do this. I don't know if you view it the same way, but for me, I definitely have like meditation. I need to do that on a daily basis. If I'm like feeling really down, I'm like, I can go to a breath work session and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm good now immediately, but I don't necessarily want to use that one on a daily basis. Do you guys view that similarly? I guess <laughs> my response would be, it is like that at first, or it can feel like overwhelming. Like 
you're managing, it's like a time management thing and you feel like a pressure and urgency to like solve for it and keep going, especially if you've got a lot going on. But I think the more you do this work of like increasing your regulation and building resilience, your set point of your nervous system changes actually, like it starts to recalibrate. And then you have more just resilience and regulation on board all the time. And so then you get less like swerved by things. And so that's another reason why it's so important to be doing it um, really intentionally and like always be paying attention for like, what do I really need right now? Like what is really going to regulate me rather than just like help me keep going and keep doing and push through it. Because over time, that's the set point shifts and you're just like you you're able to face the day and meet the moment without feeling that way quite so much. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Yeah, that's interesting. That made me think about it a little bit differently than what my response was going to be, I think, to what Taylor said. But I guess, Taylor, to your point, when you were talking, you know, it sort of made me think like, Yes, all of our tools are different. Some of them I want to use daily. Some of them I don't. And it made me think specifically about meditation. When you and I talk about meditation, any of my routine things, it's like some of them I need to do every day because if I miss one day, I'm going to miss 100 days. Like that's the way that I'm built, you know. But you would say like I kind of know when I need to do some of these things and then and then I engage in them. And so I guess I was thinking back to Nicole's program that we did with you, Nicole, that that you sort of gave us a structure i feel like and you gave us resources and tools and the reasons why we we have these tools um, but also the flexibility to utilize them the way that it fits us like back to the same thing of like we're all different and so we have to sort of mold this in a way that serves us the best Uh, but then when you replied nicole i guess i was thinking like if we if we are more aware and mindful and if we're able to start regulating ourselves better then we're sort of building this muscle and so like when shit does hit the fan then we slowly start to respond to that differently and so then it's not a catastrophe i don't need to pull out my whole entire toolbox every time to get me back to where i feel like i should be i don't know if that's how you meant it but that's sort of the way that i interpreted it (laughs) i i had a similar experience when i was in your program, Nicole, it was like, again, I feel like you can hear somebody say something, but when you live it, it hits you differently and you like internalize it differently. And I remember you in the program, you had talked about like building resiliency. And I think your comment earlier was related to that. If you do these things on a daily basis, I feel like your capacity to handle these real or perceived external threats or disruptions to your nervous system, that capacity increases. And so the same event could happen months later and you're like, wait, that broke me before. Why am I good now? You know, and that's what you just reminded me of, Teen. That's what I was thinking about. I almost had this like realization when we were going through your program. I was like, oh, we are actually like raising that bar for what we can handle right through a lot of these tactics. And if you do that enough on a daily basis, you've automatically just raised the bar and things that would have could have crushed you before, whether they seemed small or big, because I don't want to say small might be something really big for somebody and might be insignificant for somebody else. But uh, that was a big realization that I had when we went through the program, just like building that resiliency uh, and your ability to, 
I think naturally you raise that bar. And so then you can handle stuff that doesn't even hit your radar before. But then when you do actually have something that is, you know, significant, there's also other tools to use to deploy as well. But yeah, that's what you, you reminded me of team. And raise the bar in a healthy way to you, not to Nicole's point earlier, like not that you can train yourself to complete one more metric, but like, how can you do it in a way that feels healthy and natural to yourself? I guess that's kind of a question for you, Nicole, but I, I sort of heard you say that earlier. Right. And this is called the window of tolerance. Um, we talked about this in the program briefly, and it actually like it mirrors the growth zone so well, because our window of tolerance is like how much capacity we have at any given time, how much we can handle. And a lot of the work is looking to widen that window so we can handle more and also being aware of like, the backlog of stress that just gets that accumulates when we don't digest it and process through it and like release it somehow. And that, that's what sets us. Um, that's what brings us to the edge of our capacity. And we have this big backlog that hasn't been rationalized. And so any little thing that happens will just like tip us completely over the edge. But if we're being mindful about, okay, I need to do all these things. So I don't have this backlog in the first place. And then we're also like very actively like increasing our regulation and our resilience and, um, you know, doing this good work, increasing our like felt sense of safety inside our bodies. Then we're also widening the window. Right. And it's the same with the growth zone. When we talk about the growth zone being the three concentric circles where it's comfort zone in the middle, where we're just kind of like, we're happy, we're content, but we're not like challenged really. Um, and then the third one is overwhelm when we've gone too far too fast and we don't have resources. And then in the middle is like that sweet spot where we're in our growth zone, where we are being challenged, but we're also actively being resourced so we can stay there. And hopefully over time, we have enough resources so that growth zone keeps stretching and it, and we can stay there longer and we can keep expanding and we can stay in it and we're not getting like into overwhelm and we're also not like completely shutting down, going back in the comfort zone. I'm trying to think about this through the lens. So, I mean, I've lived in corporate America for 18 and a half years. And I'm just trying to think of like myself sitting in my cubicle early in my career. And uh, I would be tipped off at some of the smallest things earlier in my career because I was just like wound tightly by, you know, this machine that drives us sometimes in, in corporate America. And I certainly needed this at now, but also at that point, 10, 15 years ago, probably in my career. And so I'm just thinking for other people that are sitting in the seat that I once sat in, like it almost sounds twofold to me. It's like if you are that person that tips very easily, like what can we do in this moment when shit does hit the fan? But then also like there's this other element I feel like I'm hearing of like, you know, we slowly have to put in the work and build this sort of callus or resilience or whatever you want to say. Um, so I guess I'm maybe the question is like if if you're sitting in that corporate chair early in your career and you're just like driven by metrics all the time and deadlines and stuff like maybe what are some indicators that uh, that you're not regulated and. Cause I'm thinking like we have the tools, right. But like how, you know, somebody's sitting out there listening saying, I hear that, but I don't need that. Like I'm, I'm good. I, I can, I can handle it. I can put all this weight on my shoulders and I can continue to perform 
and go out at night and treat clients and travel and, 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 and whatever, all these things. But yeah, like how do we, how do we say, yeah, you're, you're probably not good and you could probably use some of these resources. Yeah. So like maybe what are some indicators, you know what I'm saying? This is a great question. And I just realized I didn't touch on this in the beginning when I was giving the overview and I, I should have. Um, so the, the reason why we want to know about what these three states are is so we can say, oh, this is what's happening. So when we're in the sympathetic, which is like our stress response, a lot of times that's like excess energy. It's like um, you know, we're, we're stressed out. Maybe we're ang angry. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're frustrated. Maybe there's like um, some aggression coming up or like there's too much energy in our or like we're overreactive. And then the other one is the dorsal vagal, like the shutdown. That's like when you've gone beyond stress and now you're shutting down. Maybe you're in shame or blame. Maybe you're getting depressed. Maybe they're like, there's a lot of self-defeating thoughts. And this is actually something that I want to bookmark and come back to that I just thought of is like the connection between what we feel in our body and like what our thoughts are. But that's, you know, that's what happens when we're dysregulated. Those are the two dysregulated states where either like there's too much energy in our system and we're like really frustrated and overwhelmed and stressed, or we're shutting down and we're going into like shame and, you know, um, self-deprecation and depression. And so, you know, you have to tune in and really notice how, how that shows up for you and what happens when you get stressed out, where do you go and what happens in your body? Like, is, does your heart rate increase? Do, you, do your muscles get tight? Your jaw get tight? Um, are your, is your breathing more shallow? Or like, you could also notice like maybe your hands get really cold, like when you're shutting down because your energy is being conserved. Maybe you're really fatigued and you're tired. Um, you have brain fog. Now, these are all different symptoms of dysregulation. Thanks. That's, that's helpful for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's so hard, right? To, to how do you retrain yourself? Well, A, I think that we as human beings, before I was going to say, I think we as human beings, I think about that quote that you use, teen, right? It's like every, you know, war has been started by man's inability to sit in a room by himself. You know, it's like, I think we're scared to feel right. We think that like, oh, I don't want to feel that. That's something that just, I just don't want to feel that. Right. So I'm just going to reach for this beer and we just go into this like, like default mode. Right. So how do you almost like a computer software, like reprogram your software to be like, Nope, I'm not going to reach for that beer. I'm throwing on my tennis shoes and I'm just going for a walk. And that sounds so simple, but it's so hard to retrain ourselves to do that. You're also so influenced by environmental factors as well. Like when you say it right there in this room, like if, if you're sitting by yourself and it's like, okay, yeah, I, this does make sense. I should go put on my shoes and go for a run. But all your buddies could be going and doing all of those other things that, you know, you feel like that you want to break the cycle from. I mean, it, outside influence, I think, is just really strong and impactful. And, and a lot of us run into that. So if I'm still talking about myself 10 years ago sitting in a cubicle, then like if I had these ideas um, if I took your program at that point, let's say, for example, Nicole, I would get out of there and be like, hell yes, this is awesome. And then I would get off a conference call with you and walk out into, you know, everyone else. I feel like around me at that time that that wasn't thinking that way. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should just be doing this thing. And that's that's a terrible excuse. I mean, that, that's a, 
But I think that that's a realistic, real life thing that happens. I mean, we're influenced by our environment, our peers, our superiors, um, the, the people that quote unquote matter in an organization. Um, you know, and that's not to say that all of them are evil and have these terrible habits. I don't mean it like that, but you know, we're, we're certainly, yeah, influenced by that, I guess I'd say. I have a question about that or maybe a comment and a question. Do you guys feel then that like, as you go down this path, Nicole, you had mentioned, like, I think it was before we jumped on about nervous system regulation being about self mastery. And that really spoke to me. And so when you talk about that teen, I think the younger version of me would have said, wow, I'm really curious about this stuff, but I'm also probably more influenced then than I am now about others perception and kind of fitting in and stuff. I feel like as you go on this path, at least this is what I feel like I found for myself is doing the work while you're alone gives you such a sense of like being authentically yourself and being okay in that, even if there's nobody else kind of like directly along your side while you're doing the work. And I just found it to be so empowering and things that I would have never done 20 years ago because I would have been out on an island on my own. It's like, no, I'm standing on my own. Like I know who I am. I put in the work and nobody can tell me how I feel. Like I felt a certain way when I did these things and I know it's true and right to me. So I'm going to continue to go down that path. I just think it's like so empowering when you start to take some of these steps because you realize like, oh, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. I'm being me and I know how I felt. Like I know I can take these decisions even if all my other friends were looking at me like, you don't do this anymore. You used to do this. And I was like, Hey, I don't want to do that right now. Why do you care? You know? Yeah. Do you guys feel the same way? Cause I, I don't know. That's just a big one for me. I feel like when you go on the path, there's just momentum to it and you just kind of continue to self-discover and continue to get more grounded in who you are. And it's so just like, there's so much strength in that to choose your own path. A thousand percent. I agree with you. You know, in the program we did with Nicole, we talked about values. I've talked about it in some of my classes. Uh, we had Adam Jerpy on here. We talked about values. And so that's been fresh in my mind a good bit over the last number of months. One of my top three is always authenticity. And I think it speaks to what you were just saying, because it's like, I guess I know what the cost of it is to not trust yourself and know who you are. And I still struggle with it today. I mean, our coach is on here with us, so I can't lie to you. I, she knows this. I, I still struggle with like, you know, uh, self-confidence and things like that and self-doubt, I guess I'll say. Um, but just thinking back years ago with the authenticity piece, there was another word I was going to use that I feel like is closely related. and It just escaped me. Um, but yes, I, th I think that's so important. And that's the difference of me 25 sitting in the cubicle, like, like you're just saying, I think that's the difference is then it would have been a great idea, but I didn't trust myself enough or have enough awareness to say, yes, I believe in this. And, oh, confidence. <laughs> that's the word I was thinking of. But, and I didn't have enough confidence to go out there and actually exercise what I really truly believe and feel. Um, but for me, the opposite side of that was like, I know the cost of not being authentically myself and not having the confidence to be who I am. And that got to me a place that got me to a place that I almost wasn't able to recover from, you know, which I've talked about on here. So coming from that and being more confident and authentic and, and all that, that certainly helps inform my actions and ability to say, you know what, I believe in all this stuff now and I'm going to go out there and do it. I don't care if my boss or my peers or my who neighbors or who like whoever else in your life, I don't care. 
um, because this is what speaks to me. And that, that's a tough point to get to. Like, I don't know how to, how to necessarily relay that to someone that was in my former position because it's, it's hard to get there or to start getting there. <laughs> you know, I'm still, still on the way. I'm still on the journey. Yeah. You're both saying so many good things that I want to respond to. I, I mean, I think the last thing you said is really so important. It is. It's a journey. It's a journey that we're all on and that we're all always going to be on. It's not a light switch. There's no magic bullet. It's it's a process and it's a, it requires this like ongoing willingness to do the work and to keep peeling back the layers and to keep getting closer to the truth, right? And that's not easy work. It's not, but it's really valuable. And if you're somebody who values authenticity, which that's probably my first or second value as well, you have to, like, you can't not do this work. Like you, you're like, we're driven to get closer and closer and closer to the truth and to authenticity and to, you know, figure out who we are and be who we are. Right. Um, and I really think of this work as being a homecoming being a way to come back to ourselves and to come back to something inside of us that is more true and more um like less influenced by the outside world but it's something that's like our essence it's like who we are who we came here to be that you know gets all this stuff gets piled on top of us as we move through life and this is like peeling back those layers and getting closer and closer and closer to what's real and what's true. And when you start to touch into that, like you have to make peace with yourself. Like you can't bypass that. Like you get to a point where like you can see things that you couldn't see before and it's uncomfortable and there's like a reckoning that has to happen. And your only option realistically is to make peace with yourself. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you've had past experiences or patterns of like not liking yourself or not feeling comfortable with who you are, not knowing who you are. Like this requires like radical honesty and ultimately a willingness to accept yourself for who you really are. And then once you get to that point, then it's easier and easier to just show up and be who you are and express yourself. And you have that self mastery. You have that sense of coherence in alignment inside like there's there's more there's more unity within yourself and there's more of a sense of like yeah just like peace and harmony within your own inner experience that then just it's like the presence again right and then it just comes out and you ex it's expressed in how you show up in the world but it's not easy it's absolutely not easy and it's it's ongoing and it requires like constant work and constant like willingness that was beautiful i was gonna say you mentioned something earlier teen about not um feeling like you you still struggle with i think you had said confidence or whatever that i'm just using that because you gave that example i actually find that that to be like one of the really like um I don't know what else the word I'm looking for, just like interesting elements of like all this type of work is that like, I think it can on the surface sound discouraging if you say there's no finish line, but I actually find that so encouraging because you guys have both just touched on it as somebody who wants to continually grow and develop. If you told me that like I could reach a finish line, I don't want to sit there and say, hey, at 65, if you keep doing in the work, then you're going to figure it all out. I'm like, well, hang on, I hopefully still have a number of years to continue to, 
to, as you said, Nicole, for, I don't need to put it this exact way, but like scrape off the dirt and kind of rediscover who I really am. Like, that's exciting to me to think that, wow, I'm 80 years old and I think differently today than I did when I was 65. That like makes me really happy, particularly in a society. I think that views age as like the younger you are, you know, like that's what we should all strive to be. And like, as you get older, you're just like, you know, you're just like cast off onto the farm and there's no value in old people in our society. I mean, I'm stereotyping, but I do kind of feel that way. Right. And I don't buy into that. I think that like, as you go through life, hopefully if you're starting to do this work, you start to figure things out. You're continually learning. And that's so exciting. And it's exciting because like you're growing in that way. And all these things that you mentioned are probably sound like a broken record. Like they don't cost anything like, oh, I need to learn how to breathe differently. Oh, I can go outside and like interact with nature. Oh, I can exercise. Like we can all do that. And so instead of chasing like, oh man, I can't wait till I get this promotion or like, well, I just bought this $300,000 house, but I know that if I do the right things for the next four years, I can buy that $800,000 house. It's like, is that even what you want? Because with that $800,000 house comes all this other stuff. And so I just think it's so freeing to know that like I am growing and it's not that I'm unambitious. It's just that my ambition is directed towards different things than I feel like what society tells us. And that's so freeing because again, like, I feel like it goes back to the article that you wrote last time. It's like, how much is enough? Because if I stop worrying about like physical stuff and I can just have all, all the things that I need, like don't cost me money, then it's like, wow, well, how much do I really need to live? And I can still focus on all this other stuff and grow and develop without feeling like that I need to make $300,000 a year to support a lifestyle that's leading me down a path that I don't even want to go down. I just love the part you were talking about how we're, Taylor, where you were saying like, Maybe it's better that we don't have an inline. Uh, Sergio talked about it on our last episode quite a bit. He was like, now we're in this space where we don't have the answers and it feels awesome. Like, it's beautiful. And to me, that sort of speaks to like this. It, it helps with purpose, I think. Because if, you, if you're if you 70 or 80 and you're like, oh, well, I did all these things that mattered back then and now just whatever. But like, no, it it shifts. Like I'm, I just ran 20 miles yesterday and I'm training for a 50 K and I run these Spartan races. I probably can't do that at 70, not to the level that I can at 41, but my purpose will be different. And so it's exciting and encouraging that, man, I'm going to be able to work towards something that's completely different then than I do now, but it's all still going to be expansion and growth in that way. Right. And so to me, that's like excitement and that I don't reach this finish line. It just, it's like a river, right? It just changes and flows, which is really cool. I mean, we're all building our ship as it sails anyway. And that's such a cool thing. Cause we have no idea where the inline is going to be. And I don't want to know, you know, it makes me think of the author, Stephen Pressfield. That's what he talks about. It's like these two halves of life in the first half, we're building our container and then like kind of understanding who we are. And then the second half, you know, now that we sort of start to know who we are, we're like painting our masterpiece. And it's just like this evolving work of art for the rest of our life. And it's such a beautiful illustration. Yeah. And you, you made me think of um, like when we don't know, right? Like we can either choose to be stressed out by the uncertainty or we can choose to be excited by the possibility. And it's the same energy. It's just about how do we look at it and how do we frame it and where do we place our attention? And when we're in the, in the practice of being mindful and taking that pause, we can choose to put our attention on what's good 
and what's helpful and what is exciting and, you know, focus on, on the potential and the possibility and like the curiosity and the exploration rather than like the stress or like what's in the immediate experience that we can like widen the aperture a bit and, and look at, you know, a wider realm of possibility. And that's also a big part of this work is like, the neuroplasticity of rerouting those patterns and those habits and you know every repeated action matters with regards to our brain and our nervous system um even the really small ones and so for looking for those small positive experiences are actually called glimmers in nervous system language the small positive experiences that we notice and then we just take the time like take 30 seconds to say oh my god this flower is perfect right now like the sun is so beautiful like this tree like there's a hummingbird in the tree and it's just like mesmerizing me and it's like taking the time to like really notice and savor and imprint those good experiences like that's really impactful actually i guess you, one of the things that you said teen you made me think it was a bit of a realization because i I think I've gone down this path and it's, it's shifted my perspective because I think growing up, at least in our society, you know, I feel like we're taught to chase these certain things, right? It's about like status and accumulation and all this other stuff that we've always talked about. And I think that there was always this baseline level of stress because all those things were tied to like, my life like on this earth right like in my human body we all know that there was like a finished line to that right we're all going to die someday and i guess you guys just made me make this connection i'm actually doing this like other program called like the soul builder where you have like a vision and it's all about like this type of work of like working on yourself but it's not necessarily like it's your soul right it's not necessarily like your human body and so i think one of the things that you said teen really like flipped a switch in my mind on why I guess before I used to feel like, well, gosh, every year that I'm on this earth, I'm getting older and that's like one day closer to death. And then it's just over. But I think if you shift your mindset to think like I'm a soul, right? Having that, I'm a spirit, spiritual being, and I'm in this human body on earth. And like, I don't believe that it's just like over one day, right? Then I think that the work that you're doing, that's not that finished line of like, oh, well, I died and I was 80 years old. And then it was like, and that was it right? Like all this accumulation of this stuff that we're taught to go after, like it doesn't resonate with me anymore because that has nothing to do with who I am as a spiritual being. It's all just like accumulation of stuff as a, as a human being in this world. And so I think that like, that's why this work has made me shift things. It's almost made me realize like, as I go down this work, it's like, as I'm a human being here is the whole purpose to like, or just like reframe my perspective on death. I feel like some of that is what's going on with me at least. Yeah, it's just been a big perspective shift for me. I, I love it. I mean, I think that like you're digging, right? I mean, you're you're working and, and thinking and exploring. Like that's a beautiful thing. And and I, I know that I've told you this several times, Taylor, offline. I feel like that I think about death more than the average bear does. I certainly think about it on a daily basis and I don't know if I other people have similar thoughts or I think about it differently but I think it's something that we should you know openly discuss because it's it's a real part of it right it's a it's a certainty 
I don't know, however you want to frame it, but yeah, our physical body is going to die. So, um, but I think all that stuff's worth exploring. And if you look back through history, it's, I mean, what a common theme, right? Like we, every religion has tried to figure out some way to define death. People that aren't religious also try to find some way to define death and understand death, you know? Um, but even from a simple, simple, like secular response to what you just said, like even when your physical body does die, like it's not, it's not over with because whether you want to call it the soul and the spirit, like that's touched people. It's part of this energy that is all a part of this same experience that we're having together. Right. And so, yeah, if I leave tomorrow, my body's gone, but I, I, I trust that, you know, my spirit and soul is going to carry on and that I've touched people and that's going to ripple however it does. I don't need to know the answers to that, but I trust that, that it's going to be out there. Right. But I love it. I mean, I love talking about that stuff because it's hard to talk about like it's stuff that people don't want to talk about because we don't like, we want to know the answer and we don't, we don't know the answer. I, I like the, the conversation or like the attention on shifting away from certainty to just acceptance, you know, like, because I think that's the cause of so much stress for us as humans is like feeling like we need to know and feeling like we need to control things, but we can't, we never can control. We don't have control over anything. There's no certainty, (laughs) you know? So I think that instead of focusing so much of our energy on trying to control the uncontrollable instead shifting our focus on becoming more comfortable with discomfort and uncertainty is it's such a more valuable use of our of our energy and our time and it's going to help us become way more skillful in the way that we show up in our life if we can just kind of go with the flow and you know trust ourselves to meet whatever comes our way and not get too rigid with with anything or need to manipulate things or manipulate people or get really frustrated and stressed out all the time, but just going to be in this, you know, like receptivity and a sense of like surrender almost and allowing things and just like trying to be, be in the flow of life instead of fighting against it. That really resonates for me right now because I don't know if everybody's like this, but I know I am. And it's kind of been a realization that I'm, working to get through right now if you told me like looking back at my life like the coolest parts of it have take been this like strong divergence from the path that i was on and so looking back you know if i was giving somebody advice it'd be like hey be open to the things that you might not think are part of this linear path because that's when the coolest stuff happens in your life and i 100 percent agree with that and there's also this other part of me that as I go forward, it's like, I want to know all the answers, right? I want to have everything scripted. And I know, but like, based on what I just said, like, if I know that in the past, the coolest things have come about for me being in this beautiful spot and being open and not having to predict and foresee everything that's coming and following this path and just being willing to like, step out into the world and see what comes my way. I've also started to slowly realize more recently, like, oh, wow, I think I have this little bit of like control and perfectionism that's like permeated my life that I'm trying to like work through. And it was only like a couple weeks ago that it was, it was like really stressing me out. Like every little thing that came in was like, Oh gosh, this just really rocked me. Like I could feel it in my nervous system. It was like, this is stress for me. And I kind of like 
at some point in this group coaching session I was doing, I don't know why I had this like realization. It was like, look, you've made it this far in life. And I think this goes for all of us, right? Like nothing has broken us before. Like every single thing that's come, some of it been hard for sure. We've all been through hard things. Like anything that comes in the future isn't going to break me. So like, why don't I just be open and stop trying to look around every single corner and curve and view every single hypothetical problem and solve everything that's out there. And 99% of it isn't even going to come to fruition. And that process is so exhausting. Like I was just wearing myself down from trying to think about all the different things that could happen in my business, whether they happened or not. And it was just taking so much of my like time and like focus away and like the joy of like having things come in and be like, okay, this wasn't ideal, but we'll solve it. We'll move forward. Like the sky isn't falling, you know? And so I don't know, for me, that was like this huge shift. And so I think it's really easy, even for myself, who says that like, well, that is how I approach life. I'm open. I don't feel like I'm just like hard driving and I try to be attentive and listen and like have conversations with people that I can learn from. But even for me, it was like, well, wow, like I can continue to scrape some of that stuff off, continue to try to get better. Because I think that as I've seen my path before and can say that like, this is when the best things have happened. I still find myself trying to like control and stuff. And I know that that like process of letting go is right, but it is so hard to continually do that. Is there anything that you found that has really helped you remember that it's okay to do that, even though it's hard? Well, like you were saying, it's, it's really hard for me to relinquish control. And I have these like perfectionist tendencies and I want to just jump in and, and fix everything. But then at the same time, you have this understanding that's coming in that like, that's not it right? Like there's more to it than that. And that's not helpful all the time. Like, so what helps you to remember that? Yeah. I think it's it's literally that phrase that I just said, like, I just keep telling myself is like, look at all the things you've done before. Mm -hmm. And all, I think that goes for all of us, right? It's not unique to me that I've done all these incredible things that other people haven't. It's like, we've dealt with challenges. If you even want to call them that before, right? Like, cause I honestly feel like some of the stuff that we think is tough now is what like, forces us through this fire to grow and develop and like make these like huge leaps in our lives. And sometimes you can't see that till later down the line, but uh, yeah, just telling myself I've dealt with hard things before, like everything's going to be fine. I can handle this. And it's more, it's less for me at least about, I know that when a problem comes on my plate, like I can solve it. I was wearing myself out with like, trying to solve a thousand hypothetical problems and they didn't even exist. So then my attention was scattered between things that needed to be done today and planning for all this future stuff tomorrow. It's amazing how much easier things get when it's like, wait, all I have to do is solve this problem that's actually here. Then it was like, oh, this is easy because 99 other things aren't on my plate because they're not real. It was all just me trying to solve stuff that may or may not happen in the future. And so I think that, I don't know if that answers your question, but that to me was the saying for me, it was like, Hey, anything that comes my way, like I'm capable. I've done all this stuff before. Like there's nothing that's going to break me. I can solve these problems. And that gave me the freedom just to live in the present moment to say like, all right, I know stuff's going to not go my way, but when it does, then I'm only solving the one problem that's actually here today instead of, you know, X number of problems that may happen in the future while trying to solve the one that is actually here today. So that's what's been like super liberating for me. It's just like, all right, I can do that. I can solve one problem, but I can't solve a thousand. 
you know, at one time. Yeah. So you just named some of your resources. That's why I was asking you. I knew you were going to pull a sneaky coaching move on this call. <laughs> hey, yeah. You being able to say, I can handle this. I, I, you know, whatever comes my way, I have the ability to meet this moment. I have confidence. I know I can do this. That's a resource for you. And remembering that, you know, having the mindfulness to pause and be like, okay, like what needs to happen right now? What can I do? Like, how do I focus my attention? Um, so that I'm not in overwhelm and so that I can actually get, like keep moving forward. Like those are resources that you just named. And you probably didn't name a few. I mean, I'm not trying to answer this question for you, Taylor, but I mean, I know that, you know, the cold water immersion like that, you know, when you can take a release and go do that, right. Go to the gym, go out, you know, all those things that we've been talking about, you do those. And I would imagine when you start to feel overwhelmed, that's when you pull some of them out of your pocket and do it and get back to ground zero. I mean, you said when I'm, when I'm actually right here, I have all the answers, you know, and, and I struggle with the same thing. I'm certainly not preaching yeah, to you. I'm that's for damn sure. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know. I've been, you know, I read a bunch of, have been reading a bunch of stoicism, but Seneca says we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. And I thought about that when you were saying that, because all the created problems that may happen, they're all imaginative. You know, the reality is, like you said, I have this one problem right in front of me. Well, okay. If that's the reality, I can solve one problem at a time right now. Okay. So all the other stuff, like you said, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like that quote. I think the other one too, that's really cool is if we all know that we grow through challenging times, then that reframe that you talked about earlier, Nicole, of like saying, wow, when this challenging thing happens to me, how much stronger am I going to be? Because if my life is just quote unquote easy and I never do anything that's out of my comfort zone, then we're, we're not going to grow, you know, like you just stay the same. Right. And so I think these things that we can perceive is like, oh gosh, here's another negative. It's like, well, when I saw this, like how much better am I going to be? Like, that's one more, you know, notch on my belt of something that I've been through. And like, that's additional confidence and it grows. And then they're like, wow, that thing that was trying today in five years, you're like, ah, that's nothing. I deal with that on a daily basis, you know? And that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to bring your values into this too, because if your values are around growth and authenticity, then you're going to be reminding yourself of like, why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? Like, what am I going to get out of this? You know, like, yes, it's challenging, but for, because there's a, like, there's a purpose behind, there's meaning, you know, this is going to help me grow. This is going to help me become more of who I am, you know, and then it gives you that fuel. Cause it reminds you of why you're doing it and why, why you care. Man. Yeah. This is a good, good discussion. Good conversation. Nicole, I've been practicing silence in my counseling program. I know that you're like the queen of it. I loved when you, we would be in our coaching program and you're like, I can sit here. I can, I can be quiet. I can exercise silence. That's no problem for me. And some people just can't handle it. I know I just broke the silence just then, but uh, it is funny. We have, we'll have like 10 or 12 people in a class and they'll say like, whoever wants to share. And 10 seconds will go by and people are like, I'll do it. I, I can't just sit here and like 10 seconds. Come on, man. 
but I feel like you taught me that or I've learned it through yeah, you and I'll sit there until the very end and I'm like, oh, it's my turn to share. Okay, cool. I can do this now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember you practicing that during our calls. You would always be the last one. You're just like hanging back and waiting. If you just hold the silence, people will keep talking like 90% of the time. It's a, it's like an essential tool in counseling, coaching. I mean, all of it, you know, very similar, a lot of crossover, but yeah, I mean, we yeah. like literally sit in class and practice silence, you know, because if you're in a session, sometimes that's the, the best, you know, medicine for a, a client is for them to just mull it over. And then they're going to say something that they're thinking, which maybe they wouldn't have said before if you would have kept feeding them prompts, you know? Totally. Yeah. Sometimes people just need time to think. Which we don't give ourselves, you know, like we have to be, our days have to be so full. Like some of the stuff you were talking about early, Taylor, once I get up and do all my routine things and it's time to start getting ready for bed <laughs> because I have to do all these things on this list every single day because we've read them all somewhere or some, they worked for somebody else. And there's some value to that, but yeah, that's, I think that's a real thing. I'm doing another program right now with the guy, Jesse Itzler, that did the Running Man Festival and all that. But he, he talks about that. And his wife, she like schedules time on her calendar all the time to just sit and think. Like it'll literally be on her calendar and say, time to think by myself. Like no kids, no family, no business, no nothing. Just Which it kind of sucks that we've gotten to a point where that's the way that we have to do it. Like it would be nice if we all just inherently spent time by ourselves but it's it's difficult to and we don't really you know we don't really do that so i think that is super important because it otherwise your mind is just running 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 all the time and it's like man we could just sit here and thought or not think you know just sit here how about that yeah i mean that's the best medicine of all time is like a little bit of white space to just digest and integrate and see what comes up and not need to be like at capacity overstimulated like doing talking like constantly but just allowing there to be some space in between some pauses and increasing our tolerance for that and understanding that it's actually very valuable and there's there's a lot happening internally when we're not constantly doing or talking and that's what helps us kind of like put connect the dots put things together but it scares us to death right like to actually sit there with ourself or it does for me i'll speak for myself but i just feel like it scares us to death to sit there because we don't know what's gonna what we're gonna think or what's gonna come of it or where it's gonna direct us but if we can actually like invest in it and do it and practice it then it becomes so, so valuable. I mean, I tell Taylor that all the time when I talk about going up to the mountains for four or five days by myself. I always have this disclaimer that like, it's going to be difficult because I'm going to be sitting there with my own thoughts and I'm not going to be able to just pick my phone up or text somebody or whatever. Like I'm just there actually swimming in what is swimming around in my mind, <laughs> you know, and that's it. But it's always fruitful. You know, we, we talked earlier, you, you had mentioned it, Nicole, and then you mentioned the word teen, right? If it was like to know when I'm dysregulated, I need awareness and then I need to have some tools in my tool belt, know how to like deploy them to kind of like get through this. 
And I think one thing that's helped me with awareness is meditation, but I also understand if you've never done that before, I think that can sound like this really big thing. It's like, I'm not a meditator, you know, which there's probably some misunderstanding in that statement, but I can also understand like trying something new is really hard, right? Like that, I'm sure that sounds like somebody who hasn't done it to be in like, oh, why don't you just take up running? And it's like, I don't want to run. Like I can say, I don't want to run. You can tell me, hey, there's all these benefits to running. I'm like, probably never going to be like a long distance runner. I just don't like it. Anyway, so I can understand why people would be apprehensive about that. But I do think there's ways to still get the benefit of it. And you just remind me of it, Nicole, with stuff, some of the things that you were saying. It's like, I don't know, and, and things you had said too, Tina. It's like, well, when you got out of bed, what if when you rolled over, you just sat on the bedside for like 10 seconds? What if when you parked your car, you didn't immediately just hop out, run out, race up to do something? You know, you just literally sat there. And it, like, it doesn't take that long. We're literally, nobody can tell me you don't have 10 seconds, two minutes, one minute. We all have that amount of time. And so I think these are almost like little ways we can uh, trick ourselves into creating awareness that don't seem big. I still think it's hard to implement them, but that is way easier than telling somebody, hey, do a 15 minute meditation in the morning. It's like, all right, what app do I use? Is it guided? How do I do this? It's like, no, just sit on your bed for like 20 seconds before you get up and do all these other things to start your day. If you're listening to a song in your car, when you park it, just sit there before you go to the grocery store, when you get back. And I think then you're starting to train yourself in the awareness in, you know, these really bite-sized moments. But I think it becomes really big over time because then you just get so much more aware of what's going on in your head. And so I think it plays into what you were talking about earlier about nervous system regulation. You're just more aware when you're dysregulated and what's going on. And I, I just can't overemphasize how important that first step is. But I was trying to think of like some other ways because I do think that, I don't know, some people... It can be hard to have the awareness. I'll just say that. And to get started, that, that was great insight. That was that was really cool. Yeah, I oftentimes will tell people, because people do get intimidated by meditation or people will approach meditation with like this like, competitive spirit, like they're going to like conquer their meditation practice. And I'm always like, that isn't helpful. Like, so I always try to encourage people to start with mindfulness, actually, which is exactly what you're just explaining it's just like remembering to take these short pauses and breathe and just kind of pay attention what's happening in my body what's going on how am i feeling what are my thoughts like can i let can i allow this can i let this be here can i be present with this can i create a little bit of space around it maybe i have a resource or maybe i'm exploring what my resources are right like it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just really starts with remembering to take those pauses. But the, the time thing, it, it's, it kills me when you were talking about that, Taylor, it made me think of this friend of ours that we won't mention on this podcast because he doesn't listen to it. But if, if you ever go to dinner with this person, it's like you can feel him watching the last person to take their last bite of food so he can hop up and get in his car and go home. Like, okay, we're done with this. We got to get in the car and go. And I'm like, what are you going to go home and do? I don't know anything to do. Like, well, then what's, what's the rush to, to skip, you know, to get like, maybe we could sit here and chat for a minute. He's like, no, we're done eating. We're getting in the car. We're going home. Like, what are you going to do? Probably sit on my couch and watch Netflix. <laughs> like, okay. You know, and I'm not making fun. I mean, I am making fun of him because that's fine. He's my buddy and I can do it. <laughs> but, but it made me think about that when you were talking, Taylor, because it is that, it's that thing like we're just in this rush like we we do have a minute 
to just sit here and make sure that everyone's finished having their drink before we jump up or whatever the case is and whatever scenario. Um, but we, we make ourselves feel like there's no time and, and yet time is finite, right? Like we look around at all these other people and are like, well, damn, they got all this time. I don't have this time. You know, your parents probably taught you this. You have the same amount of time in a day as everybody else does. My parents taught me that. So like, I don't know. I just feel like we get in this, in this rat race. There's so much I could say about that. I'm going to jump in. Say it. That's dysregulation. Mm. Like being impatient like that, being in a constant state of anticipation and like, you know, I need to keep moving. I need more. I like, I always need to be like doing, you know, moving, speeding through life. Like it can't be still that's, that's dysregulation. And that's, that's stress. That's chronic stress in your body. And that's what it looks like. And that's what it feels like. And so that's one way you can be like, Oh, if I'm moving through my life, feeling like that all the time, I'm dysregulated. What can I do about it? Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about like, just like being, some of the stuff sounds so simple. You know, you read it in a quote and it's like, it's all about the present moment, right? And just how much in our society we place, like, this sounds crazy when you say it, right? If all we know, like we can say, all we have is the present moment. Like I could literally die in one minute from now, right? But in our society, I feel like we're constantly taught that that future moment, which is what I think you were hitting that team, that future moment is more important than this one right now. And it's not. And so we end up missing our whole life because we think that this thing in the future, then I'm going to allow myself to be happy. If I get this one thing, I get this amount of money or this job status, or just let me get to retirement, then I'll be good. And it doesn't work that way. Right. And I think when you give up the control and just say like, I'm just going to engage deeply with the present moment, just lock in. It's like so freeing. Yeah. It's what Pema Chodron says is like one of the greatest habitual patterns that we have is the feeling that the present moment is not good enough. I could stand to hear that. And I feel like it's something that I focus on, but you know, I'm, it, it still resonates with me and especially with, you know, what, where I am in my current, I guess I'll say professional life, but in my life, um, I've been thinking about that a lot and I don't know if this is closely related, but loosely related, just thinking about that. It's like, as I'm nearing my departure date from my company, it's getting really, really near, uh, just over a month and I'll be gone from an 18 and a half year career, which is, that's huge. Like that's bigger than me deciding to go to grad school. Maybe it's all part of the same thing, but I mean, just as one event, like that's, that's a huge thing for me. This is all I've ever known. This is the only company I've ever worked for, uh, as a professional out of college. So it's crazy, but I do feel, I feel very confident that I'm making the right decision. And I've, I feel, uh, I feel great about that, but it doesn't come without this, like, you know, every conversation I'm in and people don't even mean anything negative by it, but every conversation I'm in, it's like, well, what are you going to do for insurance? Well, how are you going to fill this gap before you actually can work? Like, how are you going to make money? And how, you know, it's just like all these constant things. And it's hard not to it's hard not to give into that, you know? And, and while I do, you know, I'm trying to build self-trust. That's something, you know, I can disclose this because it's my thing, but it's something Nicole and I have talked about before is like treating myself better 
and, and trusting myself more. And, and you try to, but like I said earlier about those environmental factors, man, they're still all out there eating at you and gnawing at you. Like it sounds great on this call with these two people. Um, but when I walk out into the world, I hear different feedback, you know, than this. I, I can respond to that in a few different ways. Um, I think that you're, you're doing the right thing first and foremost, and you know that like you're really clear on that and you've spent so much time thinking about it and building to this moment. And so you are ready and you can do this and it is right. And it's good to stretch your nervous system. That's how we grow, right? We don't always want to stay in comfort zone because we're not learning there. We're not growing there. We're not expanding. Uh, you have to stretch your nervous system to prove to yourself that you can handle things. And that's also how you build self-trust. And the more you can stay connected to what's happening internally, um, and the more you can discern what your needs are and be in the practice of meeting them and proving to yourself, like, I am listening and I have tools and I'm okay and I'm safe. The more you're going to increase that self-trust and stay in your growth zone and be on this journey that you value so much and be able to have more capacity to be present with all of it, even with the challenging parts, even with all of the naysayers who are like not as brave as you are to step out and say, I'm going to do something different. This isn't right for me anymore. This is what I need to be doing now. They don't get it. And, but it doesn't matter because you know internally that you're, that you're good and that you can do this and that you got it. And that's right. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I do believe that I, I still hear the noise, <laughs> you know, I don't, I can't shut it all the way out. I do hear it. Um, and, and sometimes it does start to chip away at the armor, but conversations like this help and all of the things we've been talking about for this whole call also help a great deal. And a lot of that is credit to you, Nicole, honestly. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're the one doing all the work, team. So you deserve the credit. I mean, if I can be helpful along the path, I'm super stoked about that. But you deserve the credit. You're doing all the work. Um, and you made me think of something else that also Rick Rubin says, is like how sensitivity is such a great gift. Yeah, I gotta bring got to bring him in, right? You can't have me here. We don't even talk about it. Taylor. Have you read the book yet? By the way, I have it. Oh my god! I, before you do not lose your train of thought. But I was talking to my brother, and I recommended his podcast with presence with you, and he had never listened to our podcast, and he's like, "That podcast was so good." And I was like, "We've been doing it for over a year." Anyway, and then like the next day or something, I was talking to him, and he was like, "Man, I was reading this really good book by Rick Rubin," and I was like, "Not you too, not you too." Like all the signs of the universe are like, "You're gonna know this book before you read it." From like the fifty people have told you to read it. Yeah. Anyway, I basically read this book to yeah, you, Taylor. At this point, he's literally on there, and he's like, oh. "No excuse." He's like, "Oh, you've heard of it?" And I was like, "Heard of it? You could probably recite it." Never read it. I don't know if you heard it, Nicole, but on one episode a few episodes ago, Taylor actually brought up the book and said something from the book. And I'm like, you ain't even read it yet. Like, how are you reciting something from? Anyway. I mean, he doesn't need to read it at this point. Just like osmosis. Like, he's like basically read it without reading it. You know, you can get the audio book too. You're in your truck a lot. You might as well. My challenge though, and maybe it's like the perfectionist tendency in me. I don't feel like audio. I 
absorb it as good as I do reading it. However, I know that taking the time to sit down and read, I just feel like it's hard for me to like find the time and carve out the space to do that. I'm certainly not saying I don't have it, but it's hard to carve out the time. And maybe like if I absorb 80%, that's still better than zero and not reading anything, which by the way, I'm actually finishing up your book. I just drew a blank. The one you sent me like six when months things ago. things fall apart. Yeah. When things fall apart. And that has been like, I don't think anything's like overly new, but I think that like when you hear these concepts of like kind of what we're talking about now and just like letting go and all that stuff, it's, it's definitely been resonating with me now. Anyway, I want to finish that one. Rick Rubin is probably next on the list. Yeah. I think that page, that book is like a hundred pages long. So glad that you're getting to the end of it. <laughs> I never, <laughs> that was a huge shot at me. Cause I know Nicole, you're like the nicest person ever. So like that was a huge cut down there. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. You said it so just gracefully. <laughs> it's a dense book, Nicole. I get through like 10 pages and I'm like, I need to sit with that one. No, there's a lot of wisdom in it. That's definitely true. It's it's potent. Take your time with it. Oh, I am. All right, go <laughs> ahead with your Rick Rubin comment. <laughs> See if I can get my train of thought back. I don't remember exactly what I was going to say. Something about sensitivity. Yeah, I, this came up in our group coaching program a lot because all of us, myself included, or highly sensitive people, right? Like our antennas are out in the world. That's what Rick Rubin talks about sensitivity as being like this antenna where you're like capturing so much more information than other people are. And sensitivity can feel really overwhelming. This has been like a massive journey that I've been on throughout my whole life because I used to be just like completely overwhelmed by my sensitivity for so many years. It took so much work and so much time for me to get to the point where I'm like, this is the greatest gift that I have. And I think that's true for you, teen. And so I can completely empathize with what you're saying. Like it's overwhelming to be taking in all this noise because you're really sensitive. And it, it, it's just more, it's more work. It's more things to sort through and to discern and to digest and to like, you know, like is this mine? Is this not mine? Is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Like, do I respond to this or do I just like ignore it? Right? Like it's more work, but you're sensitive and sensitivity is a gift at the end of the day. And, and you know, and, and we also have that choice ultimately about whether or not to be overwhelmed by our gifts or whether or not to just like really embody them and own them. Man. Yeah. That was, uh, that was really helpful your description of how it feels pretty spot on. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't want to say fully overwhelmed, but sometimes it, it does feel like work. Yeah. Because I want to do right by everybody. I want to make sure that I respond appropriately or treat people appropriately. And sometimes, I mean, I don't want to say it how you just said it. Cause it sounds so bad. But like sometimes I, I find myself not being able to respond right now to people. I don't want to say ignore, but sometimes that's probably the appropriate action, honestly. And it's, that's very hard for me. Very, very hard for a lot of people, but certainly for me. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can relate to that too, team, what you're just saying. I do feel like, and I don't even think all of it's with bad intentions. People want to offer up questions or comments, but I had one the other day and I was like, I didn't ask you for your opinion. I just ignored what they said. I was like, why did, you know, like as somebody who I feel like maybe has some like people pleaser tendencies, I I feel like I'm kind of like doing a better job of not kind of what you just said of just saying like, well, I don't have to respond to this person. Like clearly if they're willing to offer up their opinion on something when I didn't ask for it, 
then I can also just ignore it because I can do what I want as well, you know, and kind of realizing that it's okay to do that. I think it's hard and it's a shift, but yeah, it's crazy how people can kind of throw these, this disruption into your life. And it was like, did I ask you how you felt about my career change? Why do you care? Like, this has nothing to do with you, you know? Like, are you really concerned about the, the status of teens' health insurance? <laughs> like, that's number one on your list of all things going on, you know? Like, But it's on me how I respond, correct. though, right? Yeah. Because they, they didn't think correct. about it twice. If I come home and stay up all night, then yeah. that's on me. Yeah, I think that when you go down a different path in life, that people can get triggered. <laughs> Because they see you doing something that's outside of the norm and that maybe they wish that they could do. I mean, I'm projecting, right? I don't know exactly what happened, but I think people do see that and like it triggers, it can be triggering. And so their response sometimes is, is, is rude and is like judgmental and like hater stuff. Like, um, instead of being supportive, instead of being like, wow, dude, that must have taken so much courage for you to get to that point. Like, it's so cool what you're doing. It's so different. Like how, how awesome that you got to the point where you could step off the traditional path and figure out what else you might want to do. And now you're doing it. Like, how amazing is that? Like, not everyone has that, that capacity to be that you know, and that's kind of supporter role, but a lot of people will default into the like, you know, like naysayer. Yeah. And, and I do get that other side too, from some people. And that, and that's certainly worth mentioning, you know, I don't want to only s- sit on here and talk about the, the negative side that I see, because I do certainly, you know, get the opposite side, whether it be about this podcast and what Taylor and I do, or what I'm doing in my personal life or what Nikki and I have going on. I do get the positive side and the supporting side as well. So I don't need to dissect that. So I guess I didn't mention it, but it's certainly worth mention as well. I have a question. And I know we've talked about it some, you had mentioned earlier, Nicole, about like the connection between your body and your thoughts. And we've talked on here and on previous episodes about meditation. And I think the, the typical thought on or the typical outlook, I should say, on meditation is that like, well, you know, like you're just there as an observer and you, you can't control your thoughts. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm not to say that this, what I'm about to say on the other side is like a conflicting um, view on it. But I also have read some and explored a lot around like your vision and the ability to kind of kind of reprogram some of your thoughts, right? And if you want these things, how do you put that down on paper, read it, visualize it? I've seen things about vision boards and vision statements. And I think there's a lot of truth in that about like, you're almost creating that reality for yourself before it's in your physical reality. Um, And I do believe in that. You had said you wanted to come back to the connection between body and thoughts. And that just hit me. I don't know if there's like a question in there. Um, I think both of those approaches are valuable. Um, And I'm not sure that they, I'm I'm not saying they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum, but I think both are helpful because I think it's helpful to view your thoughts. I also think it's really helpful to say, well, if you want this life, start to visualize and say how you're going to feel and what you would want that to look like and begin to create that, you know, on paper before maybe you see it physically. Thank you for bringing that back up because this is actually a really big piece of the nervous system work. So I'm glad we're getting in. I alluded to this at the very beginning when I was talking about how our brain or 
vagus nerve is like constantly scanning for safety versus threat. And when we're, when there's a threat detected, a lot of times it's not even a real threat, but it's something that like we're reacting to or triggered by. That's when we go into dysregulation or like you could also call it protective mode, like out of safety. And what happens in our bodies is that we feel that first. Like we feel the stress response, we feel the dysregulation, we feel the discomfort first. And then because we feel it, we want to make sense of it. We want to make meaning out of it. And so we come up with these stories about what it means to try to rationalize it. And that's actually really unhelpful. And so we want to be paying attention to what's happening in our bodies and training ourselves to just stay with that and be like, oh, this is interesting. Like my heart rate's expanding and I, or my, my heart rate's increasing. My palms are sweating. I'm feeling like, like scattered or ungrounded, like at the sensation level, what's happening in my body instead of going into the thoughts of like, because the thoughts happen quickly, right? We just get in this loop of like, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. No one likes me, whatever it is. And we need to catch ourselves in between feeling whatever we're feeling in our body and just be like, oh, my body is trying to protect me right now. Like there's something, my nervous system picked up on something and I'm now in a protective state and I have a tool, you know? So that's, that's what the practice looks like is like we catch ourselves before we get into that thought spiral that is really hard to get out of. You know, and when we can catch ourselves to your point, then we can be like, we can tell ourselves a better story and we can start kind of thinking more positively about where we want to be and what, you know, what we can do and what agency we have. And we can become more empowered over time. But it starts with that ability to be like, oh, something's happening in my body. That's interesting. I wonder what it is. Let me be curious about it. Taking that time and that space to disrupt the loop that can happen like really fast otherwise. Okay, that's helpful. You, you went down a little bit of a, not a different path, I, I didn't mean it that way. You, you explained it differently when I was talking about my connection between, because I almost view it as the, what we were talking about earlier, right? Of when we talked about these tools that we can use to regulate our nervous system, it's like you could do all this stuff on a daily basis and that helps to increase the bar. You could also have these like acute tools that you deploy in the moment. I almost view that as, similar in the regard that like, for example, if I create a vision statement and I write out in depth and I review that every day, I truly do believe that like you're creating that reality, right? Cause it's in your mind. And so those storylines will naturally start to change to your point. I also think that you're still going to have some negativity come in and so you're still trying acutely in that moment to reshape that storyline. You seem to talk more about the latter of those, but I think they work in conjunction so you did a nice job of bridging both of those concepts. Absolutely. Now you're totally spot on with that. It's so amazing. I feel like that the stuff that we talk about, it's like it, you don't have to have this like advanced degree or this education. Like it's, it's stuff that we can all do. You know, these storylines that we create, it's almost, you know, it's, I don't know. It's funny how we can just beat ourselves up over things and get in these loops. And it's like, just have the awareness and like, the compassion and kindness to like unravel some of that. And it's very freeing, you know, when you start to like just treat yourself with more compassion and really see that for what it is, which is bullshit. And just like this illusion that's, you know, you've created over time. Yeah. That's, 
That's an excellent takeaway. Teen said that earlier about awareness. It is. It, everything starts with awareness. It's so important, and, you know, and to just always be willing to see a little bit more and to take a little bit of space so that more awareness can come in. And like, that's where everything starts. It's, it's the most important thing. Yeah. I, I just, I just really appreciate all of the insight and on this stuff because I mean, it, it's just so helpful and it's like sort of a recharge, even for me, you know, we, we went through the program and, and Taylor even talked about it, I think. Sorry if you don't want me to disclose this, but I want to make sure I practice confidentiality <laughs> from our program, Taylor. Uh, but I remember you even in there saying, like, you know, you, you go through these things and then you come out on the other side and you're you're charged up and <clears throat> motivated and all this stuff. And, you know, then inevitably you're still running a brand new small business. And so you're going to get kicked in the face a little bit. And then you sort of forget about it or put it on the back burner sometimes. And um, then you feel yourself drifting and then, you know, you on your own can sort of recenter yourself and recalibrate and those sort of things. But but for me, this conversation was sort of that. I, not that I've drifted, but I do have a lot of moving parts going on in my life right now. So it's, it's just incredibly helpful to sit down with you, Nicole, the sensei, uh, and and listen and learn and, and talk about these things again. It's It's so helpful. I had to slip that in too, didn't you? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if you have anything else, Nicole, that you sort of want to share while you're on here or anything that's, that you're thinking about. I mean, I love when you slip in coach mode and you did that for both of us for a little while here. I don't know. Anything else that you feel like you haven't covered or you'd like to share anything like that? I don't know. I mean, maybe just reiterating that this work is all about small, small, impactful shifts over time. I think that in our culture, we're conditioned to think that in order for something to be valuable, it has to be like this massive dramatic thing that happens. And this work is like the opposite of that. And so we have to constantly be getting ourselves out of that mindset that it has to be like everything all at once. We have to know all the answers and we have to, it has to feel like something really big happening in order for it to be valuable. And it's not like that, you know, it's more about really paying attention to like the very small little things and like stacking them up and staying in it and just staying curious and increasing that awareness. And, you know, just over time, seeing it as a long game. I think that's really hard for people to do because it's super countercultural, but that's what it is this, with this work. I think you can get burnt out from it also, even even doing this work that is meant to, you know, help you with regulation. I, I think that we can, we, we take that maybe unhealthy mindset and apply it to this. And it's like, okay, I'm diving in. I'm going to figure it all out right now and apply all this to my life, you know, and, and I don't know, you can burn out, you can burn out from it. In that coaching program that I'm doing now with Jesse Itzler, uh, one of the people doing the program, she said, well, I was a personal growth junkie and now I'm et cetera, et cetera, all these other things now. And I, I said, what do you exactly mean by 
personal growth junkie. And that's sort of what she said. She was like, I decided I wanted to start working on myself. And I went to every workshop, every overnight retreat, every got on every conference call that I possibly could. I implemented everything that every one of them said, you know, and then she was like, I just need some, some time to be intentional and really allocate my time towards stuff that may be useful and helpful that speaks to me, you know? So I thought that was really interesting. I never heard somebody use that term before, but it sounds like, you know, like you said, it's, it's a long game. You can't, you can't do it all overnight. Yeah. I feel like it's like shifting, you know, from a, mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, that's our culture, right? We, and I've said it on here before, we're so outcomes based. It's like, all right, Nicole, I'll do what you're saying. If you tell me that you're going to guarantee these results and ironically, like we've talked about on here on this episode, there's no guarantees. And so, and I think that people can look at that and say, well, shit, I'm never going to try that then if there's no guarantee that I'm going to feel this way and actually would flip that on its head and say, how liberating is that? That what I'm going to do right now doesn't have to guarantee me anything in the future other than right now, when I took this deep breath, that in that moment, it just felt good. That was it. Oh, wow. That felt really good when I took a deep breath and it didn't need to be my whole life is easy. I've solved every problem. Nope. It was just that breath felt really good. Maybe I'll do the same thing tomorrow. Like that is so freeing, you know? And so I think we live in a culture that we all want to know, like, where's this going to lead me? I'll do everything you say and I'm going to follow it to a T, but if it doesn't get me there, I know where to find you, Nicole, you know? And I just think that that's not the way that we should look at things. It's like, Hey, these are proven things that are going to work. It is the long game. It's probably, you know, you're going to, there's external factors that are going to come into play and it's not always going to look linear. It's like, stick with it. Give yourself compassion and credit when you're doing it in the short term, you'll fall off. Like we always, all of us do, right? None of us are perfect. It's all right. Like whoever said your life has to be this like perfectly scripted thing, you know? And I think that that's so freeing. But we don't look at that like that way in our culture. You know, it's like, man, just keep grinding harder. Go harder. Do this. And it's like, I hate to tell you, but how's that worked out for you up to this point? You know, and I, I certainly don't mean that of like, we should all just be lazy and not ambitious. But sometimes I think we we conflate those things about being ambitious and continually pounding our head against the wall, wanting different results, but not being willing to try to get there a different way. And not everything has to be hard and difficult. Hell yeah. Yeah. Knowing one's enough, right? Coming back to that, taking the time to discern what do I need and what do I not need? What's enough for me? And, you know, also building on what you said when you said flipping this on, on your head, it's freeing to not know, but also like having the expectation of like, it better be like a super dramatic, big result. Otherwise I'm not doing it and there's no guarantee of that but also like if you do nothing there you're guaranteed to not feel better and to stay where you where you are and is that a good thing would you prefer that to just like status quo forever no hopefully not it's not helpful either i'm wondering nicole if so last time we talked to you you were in morocco this time i believe you're in california um but maybe just tell us a little bit about some things you've got coming up. I know you've been working hard behind the scenes. We've mentioned plenty of times about the program we did with you feel grounded in your growth zone, but you do so many other things. So I'd love for you to tell us what you're working on and what you have coming up. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, I've always got a bunch of balls in the air that I'm 
juggling and uh, creating. I've always got tons of creative energy coming out of me. The group coaching program's coming back. I'm going to offer it again this summer, and I haven't finalized the dates yet, but I think it'll start in May, most likely, maybe June. So that's coming back, the same program you guys did. I'm going to tweak things a little bit based on the feedback that I got, but it'll essentially be this the same program. Um, and it'll be, yeah, over the summer. And then I've also been working on creating some California retreats that I'm super excited to be releasing very soon. The first one will be a year from now. So it'll be March, 2025, and it'll be focused on rest and nervous system recalibration. So kind of taking everything we've talked about today and putting it into practice. So there will be guided rest practices, but also a workshop about how to understand our nervous system and how to understand what happens in different states and learn some you know, simple tools and skills for increasing our regulation and our resilience and just our ability to be present with what's happening. And so I'm really excited about that because I feel like that'll eventually be like the yin yang with the group coaching program because we touch on some of this stuff in the program. We talk about the nervous system and we bring it into like, you know, like being in our growth zone and doing things that are scary and uncomfortable and stretchy and using these nervous system practices to um, give us more capacity to keep moving forward and doing the hard things. But this retreat will be a deeper immersion on those practices. It'll be in person so you can kind of get more out of it. Um, so that's coming, not not for a year, but I've, I've been working on it and it's going to be, I'm going to be sharing it publicly pretty soon. Um, what else am I doing right now? I'm teaching, I teach yoga in Berkeley. If anyone's in, in the area, I teach restorative yoga a couple nights a week. And it's again, very closely related to everything that we talked about today, but that's when I'm actually like putting it into practice and guiding people through the, through these classes where they can actually, you know, practice this stuff and, you know, take the space because restorative poses were holding them for longer periods of time. So you can really take the space to like really pay attention and, and, um, yeah, just be in, be in practice with this stuff. Um, I've been doing more writing, which I'll be sharing soon. Taylor's already seen some of it, but that's got more writing coming out soon also. And I'm going to be doing, actually, I'm going to do a workshop about the nervous system soon as well, which I haven't scheduled yet, but been thinking about it a lot. And that'll probably be like a 90 minute workshop um, about, yeah, like the nervous system 101, basically. And that'll probably happen within the next couple months. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've got going on. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And do you have any international trips on the horizon right now? I have, yes, Morocco in September will be the next one and then i'm actually thinking of shifting things around and doing retreats international retreats less often and focus on more of the california stuff and the group coaching so this will be the last one for a little bit and it'll be yeah it'll be in morocco in september that that retreat next summer sounds really cool i think being able to do that in person just yeah that sounds like an awesome awesome retreat yeah, March of 2025. I, I don't want to take us down like another path. I was just curious, you know, I know that when we went through the program 
and like on a lot of the, even like with the group coaching thing I'm doing now, it's like, it's predominantly women. And so I guess I'm always curious, you know, like Tina and I were the only guys in your group coaching. And I know yoga's predominantly women. Like, it just seems like a lot of this work, like, and it's not surprising, right? I think guys have this mentality of like, I'll just bottle it up and get through it. And it's like, you're not getting through it though. Like you're getting through it is, you know, to your point earlier, you're, you're vaping, you're drinking, you're you know, all these unhealthy. And I'm not, I'm not immune to that, right? Like we all have our coping mechanisms, but I particularly feel like women are more open to just like trying stuff like this, you know, and like guys, it's just like, I feel like we're in general, just more reluctant. I don't, there's a question in there somewhere about like, how do we just get more guys to engage? Am, am I wrong in thinking that? And maybe you have other stuff that you do where you see a lot of guys interacting. I was just curious if you had a perspective on that. Yeah. Well, I think men are up against more than women are. It's, um, it's less socially ingrained in your, in your upbringing to be open to this kind of stuff. So it, it takes more to get beyond some of that conditioning, which is what I think you guys are, you're doing so well with this podcast is modeling this like sensitivity as strength and modeling men who are open and vulnerable and willing to have more emotional conversations and to pursue personal growth. So you model that for for other men. And I think that's extremely valuable. And I think the more you're doing that, the more you're helping to normalize it and expose people who maybe haven't been exposed to it and let them tap in, right? Like listening to your podcast is like super low stakes, right? Like that doesn't require any vulnerability on their part, just requires some curiosity to see what else is out there. What are other people talking about? Like to learn about things maybe they've never even heard of before and just kind of keep that door open so people can tap into it. But I do think that you're right. Like it is um, less common for men and there's all kinds of reasons why you'd probably have a better idea of that than I would, but you know, like you're, you are, um, conditioned to value different things and to be like the provider and the worker and the doer instead of like the feeler and you know the sensitive one but you can be both of course you can um it's just a matter of like redefining that for yourself and exposing other people you know doing what you can to create that ripple effect and i think probably cultural you know different parts of the country are different Actually, I think in, you know, where I am in, in the Bay Area, I do get a lot of men coming into my yoga classes. It's a pretty good mix. Um, but I also teach, I teach restorative yoga, which is different. It's when we're like resting, we're learning at our rest. Um, and we're right by UC Berkeley. So I have students coming. I mean, I have all kinds of people in my classes. But yeah, I do think that there are a lot of factors at play that make it a different journey for men than it is for women, for sure. Thoreau had a quote in Walden that says the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And that's what it made me think of Taylor. When you started talking about that, like it, and we wrote about gender differently whenever he wrote that 200 years ago. So I don't know if he specifically meant men or if he meant people, um, that that's a little different now in writing typically than it was when he wrote that. But if he did mean men specifically, then yeah, just, I think to your point, do a lot of men bottle it up and try to solve it on, on their own and on the inside they're 
desperate and reaching for something like that. And I hope not. I mean, I, I, you know, I hope that we're getting better at that. I think we are getting better at it. I'm glad to hear that your classes, Nicole, are more of a mix. Um, there may be a less of a mix where we live in our part of the United States. Um, but there's probably more of a mix now than there were 20 years ago. So that's progress. And I hope that continues. I love the conversation. I find so much value in them for myself. I always feel like I'm wanting to make sure we extract every little like nugget out of there. And then I'll oftentimes find myself, you know, it's really interesting as we go through this and then you get to listen to it and I don't have to be a listener and a, an active participant. It, it gives you kind of a different perspective on it. It's just something that I've always found interesting about the podcast. So I'm sure I'll find some additional nuggets in there when I listen to this that, uh, that I maybe didn't even fully grasp while we were on here but yeah i always appreciate you coming on nicole love your perspective and uh yeah i just think this stuff is like so important it's like the most i don't know it's hard to say one thing is the most important work but like it's so important like our lives don't have to be like suffering all the time there's things that we can do to make them better and i just think that that's so freeing to know that that like everything's within you and it doesn't require these drastic changes that you talked about before it's just these small little steps um but yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Yeah. And I'll just add one more thing that you made me think of. It's like stress is just so prevalent. Like all of us are dealing with stress to some extent or another, but like there's an epidemic of stress. Um, there's an epidemic of disconnection in our culture. And this is a way to make that a little bit better, um, you know, and to take away some of some of the suffering, some of the struggle, some of the confusion and doubt and fear and um, isolation and to continually become more connected to ourselves, to other people, to what matters, you know, a little bit at a time. And that's how I see this work. It's like, it's, it's very far reaching and it, it, can help everybody you know you can dip into it however you want to however it makes sense for you um but it's you know it's it's helpful for everybody um so i'll just say that but i also just appreciate you guys having me back it's always great to connect with you and it's fun to kind of be back on after you were both in the group coaching program because now i feel like all three of us when we know each other better but also there are there are deepened perspectives and like kind of like a shared experience and shared conversations that we got to tap into this time. That was really fun. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. It, it is. I mean, I think it is. You just said far reaching. And I'll just say that I'm super glad that it it reached me, you know, through you in a lot of ways. Some of the stuff we were talking about today and obviously in the program, uh, it's enriched my life and perspective. So, yeah, I was just going to say. Real quick, because I know that, Nicole, if people wanted to like see your Instagram, Nicole Griffin Wellness, or your website's NicoleGriffinWellness.com, right? Is there anything else that you have out there that you would want to share that pe where people can find you? So if you want to connect with me beyond the podcast, you're, I'd love to for you to do that. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Nicole Griffin Wellness, or my website is NicoleGriffinWellness.com. You can sign up for my 
my email list. I send out emails every couple months, and that's just a good way to stay in, in contact with me and get a sense for what I'm offering. Awesome. Yeah. And for everybody listening, yeah, please reach out to Nicole. And, and even if it's just to drop her a note and tell her what you got from the conversation or anything like that, I know she would love to hear it. Um, that would be great. And yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. As my granddad used to say, keep the cards and letters coming. Give us feedback, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And we'll get out of here. Until next time. <laughs>